Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have opportunity uh, today to reach back into the archives, and I've selected uh, a fun conversation, interesting conversation, with Wyoming writer Craig Johnson. You very likely know him from the Walt Longmire uh, books and the television series. Craig Johnson uh, says, uh, people ask, how do you get started as a writer? He says, I believe there's only two honest answers. The first one is you stumble across a story you think needs to be told. And I had this idea in my head about a sheriff in the least populated county in the least populated state in America. The other thing that gets you going as a writer is you run out of excuses. So we talk about uh, how he got started as a writer, uh, how he transplanted from east to west. And, uh, of course, we talk about Walt Longmire. As you uh, will hear, I think... Um, it's a lot of fun talking to Craig Johnson. Here's an episode, first broadcast in October of 2015. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Craig Johnson, straight-talking lawman, Sheriff Walt Longmire, has captured the hearts of readers in 11 best-selling novels and the uh, hit television series Longmire, which is now on Netflix. And for 11 Christmases now... Uh, Craig Johnson has released a uh, story of an off-duty uh, Sheriff Walt Longmire to subscribers to his newsletter. He's now collected those and added a story. There's 12 uh, stories in the new collection, Wait for Signs, 12 Longmire uh, Stories. Uh, in these stories, the sheriff finds himself mistaken for a deity, elbowed into starring as the ghost of Christmas past and trapped with an owl in a porta potty and uh, another novel is out as well, Dry Bones, uh, featuring the uh, fossil of a dinosaur. Uh, Craig Johnson uh, lives in Ucross, Wyoming, population 25, elevation, I believe, 4,085. We welcome in uh, Craig Johnson to Access Utah. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here. You did your research, too. Not too many people know the elevation of my town. Well, well I, I, was, I was looking at the, uh, the picture. You're, you're in your pickup truck. <laughs> And, well, that's a separate one. You're you're posing in front of the sign. I, I always like those signs, um, <laughs> especially true. especially in the West. You have the elevation. Well, you can always count in Wyoming that the the elevation will certainly be a lot higher than the population. So. <laughs> that's right. And you you've you've said elsewhere you're not even sure you uh, cross has 25. You, you invited a lot of people over. You only counted 19 at one point. Yeah, we you know I think we're still elevated from the last census, okay? But uh, you know it costs a lot of money to change those signs, so I don't think that's we'll true. Be change it anytime soon. <laughs> it'll be it'll be stuck <laughs> at twenty five. <laughs> so so you are. You're not originally from Wyoming. I think you grew up in uh, West Virginia, right? Well, that's where I was born. Yes, that's where okay, you're born. But I had family up in Judith Gap, Montana, and Hobbs, New Mexico, okay. Lawrence, Kansas, and a lot of other places too. Like that. So I was, you know, kind of keyed, you know, to uh, to be a Westerner all the way from the get go. So. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how's the kid from uh, from the east uh, make his way out to to live in uh, in Ucross, Wyoming? Well, I was working as a cowboy up in Montana, actually, like that, and uh, delivered horses down there um, when I was in my twenties, like that, and uh, just fell in love with that area, like that. You know, my grandfather was a blacksmith. And uh, like I said, I had family all scattered through the West, you know, and so it wasn't a, a, a difficult transition to make. Like that. And I uh, just looked around there at that little town, you know, at the base of the Bighorn Mountains, you know, and, uh, right at the confluence of Clear and Piney Creeks. And I just thought, you know, boy, if I ever get the chance, this might be where it is that I want to, you know, want to live like that. And uh, it took a while, like, to, to, to get the money together to be able to buy some property like that. But uh, 
then you know you know poured the concrete stacked the logs and you know built the whole ranch myself and uh finally got that done and then decided okay well you know you've always wanted to write a novel like that now would be the chance to do that and that's when i sat down and wrote the first wall longmire novel the cold ditch before we get into that i, I, I was reading about this this log cabin it came as a kit well, that's kind of a euphemistic or, term, you know, for what it was that arrived. What arrived was a pile of logs. Is what arrived. You were and, you were envisioning uh, yeah, something can, more organized. You fine tune yeah. with a chainsaw. I feel like right. I can probably handle. So. <laughs> yeah, a chainsaw is a great fine tuner. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you built this into a nice cabin. You've really built out the the, the ranch. Um, so yeah, tell me how cold dish came about. What. Oh, I just, you know, it was a point in time, like I'd hear about 12 years ago, whenever, um, you know, it seemed like, you know, everything was all CSI, you know, everything was all, you know, uh, you know, ballistics and forensics and DNA evidence and all this kind of stuff. And so I ran into a, uh, a DCI investigator, Division of Criminal Investigation investigator there in Wyoming, and I, I just asked him, I said, you know, well, how long does it take you guys to get DNA evidence? And he pause for a second. He goes, is this a high-profile case? And I said, yeah, let's pretend like it's a high-profile case. And he said, about nine months. And so I thought, well, okay, that's not particularly honest what they're doing on the television and in all these books and everything, is it? And he goes, no, it's not. And so I thought, you know, well, you know, what if you did a, a you know, a, a police procedural, you know, a crime fiction novel where the protagonist was the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state in America? It would kind of force you to deal more, you know, with character and place and those type of things. And I just thought, you know, that might be something interesting. And uh, it turned out, you know, we've been on the New York Times bestsellers list seven years running now. Like that, we've got a TV show on Netflix. Like that, that's pulling in, you know, it was pulling in about six million people a night. And so, I guess it was uh, it was the right choice to make. I guess. Yeah, certainly, it it has resonated. You, uh, you know, a lot of fans around. Um, in fact, it, I was reading there's there's an experience. I wonder if I could have you tell this. Uh, you encountered a, like a lady, w- with a T-shirt. Like I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> Actually, no, it was a hat. Well, a hat. Actually, okay. I, yeah. Tell I me that story. I spent a lot of time, like you know, traveling around, like that, you know, and uh, touring, like that, especially you know, in our area there, you know, all around Wyoming, you know, and Montana and Utah and Idaho and all of that. Sometimes on my motorcycle, like that. And so I was in uh, Red Lodge, Montana, like that. And when I'm not wearing my cowboy hat, I'm wearing uh, one of the Absaroka County Sheriff's Department. Uh, ball caps, you know, and, and Absaroka County doesn't exist. It's the, what I refer to as the 24th County in Wyoming, and there are only 23. And uh, I had that hat on, like that. You know, well, if you didn't know there was no 24th County in Wyoming, if you didn't know there was no Absaroka County, they looked pretty real. And so I was having lunch in Red Lodge, and uh, went to go pay for lunch, and I was writing a check for lunch, like that. And that kind of gives you an indication of what kind of place it is. You can still write a check for lunch, and so. I was writing it up like that, and the woman on the other side of the counter, she looks at me and she says, where'd you get that hat? <laughs> and she said it real aggressive-like, and I thought, oh, no, she thinks I'm a real sheriff's deputy, and I'm, somebody's dying and ditched, I'm going to have to go chase somebody down the main street of Red Lodge, Montana. And I looked at her and I said, well, it's, it's not a real county. And she goes, the hell it's not, it's Walt Longmire's <laughs> county. And uh, you know, I felt like I'd been smacked, you know, and so I said, well, I'm Craig Johnson, I'm the one that writes the books. And she goes, what books? Like, and I said, the books that the TV show is based on. Of, and she says there are books. Like that. And so that, that's kind of like you know kept me in my place, you know, as far as uh, you know staying humble um, yeah. as the years have gone by, like that. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's pretty amazing, like that. You know, the effect that Hollywood can have. But uh, you know, we're we're, we're kind of happy with the way things have worked out. Yeah, very very gratifying. She's uh, she's she's a big fan. 
There's another. There's, <laughs> it would appear, yeah. <laughs> there's another place you were. I guess you were doing some research in uh, what the Powder River Basin, and uh, encountered uh, I guess Longmire Night at a at a bar. Uh, <laughs> you have done your research. Yeah, I was out uh, near Arvada, like that, in the little town out on the Powder River, like that. And I mean, when somebody from a town of twenty five says this place is in the middle of nowhere, it's it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I was out there like that, and uh, you know, I stopped. Thought I'd stop in. I you know, did a lot of research, you know, riding around like that, you know, and uh, checking locations and doing that type of thing, talking to people, getting stories from folks like that. And uh, you know, this one was, uh, you know, a little, a little bar was out there, you know, and I stopped in like that. And I walked in, and there was a big sign on the bar back that said Longmire and Longnecks Monday night. And so I asked the bartender, I said, "What's the story on this?" And he goes, "Oh yeah," he says, "You know, we got." Uh, we run an episode of Longmire on Monday nights, and then we have Rainier Beer, which is the beer that you know Walt Longmire drinks, you know, in the books in the TV show. And uh, and he said, uh, you know, we, we we get a you know we get a crowd in here like that, you know. And I said, well, well, that's that's really great. Like, and he goes, no, Craig, you don't understand these old ranchers. This they haven't come in here and watched the TV show since Gunsmoke was on. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of a drought in westerns like that, but we're kind of glad to be able to fill that that gap. Mm-hmm. That's a key word. I wanted to ask you about that. It, uh, these novels, westerns. Are you a western writer? I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not a big one for genres. You know, I'm not a big one for pigeonholing. You know, your writing. I mean, in the in the final analysis, the only thing there really is is good writing and bad writing. And uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's always fun to try and work. You know, in the borders of uh, all those genres. You know, to try and do something a little bit different. I mean, whenever you're writing westerns, whenever you're writing crime fiction. Um, you know, you're working in those genres like that, and you are, uh, you're going to have a certain amount of baggage, you know, that goes along with it. You know, not only the baggage that you're carrying, but the expectations, you know, that, that the readers are going to have and viewers are going to have. And, uh, you know, for me, it's important, you know, to, to be aware of that high context kind of relationship that you have. Um, with the people that read the books, like to make sure that you take advantage of that opportunity. So, you know, the, the trick is trying to do something different, and not fall prey to all of those stereotypes and cliches. You know, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of humor in the books. You know, and so it it, uh, it kind of pokes fun a little bit. At, you know, some of those sacred cows, and uh, tries to do something a little bit different with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a real sense of place, um, which uh, you know you you live there, right? And... T- well, yeah, I mean, I wake up in Walt's world, you know, pretty yeah. much every day like that, you know, and uh, it's, uh, I think it's an opportunity. I think it would be difficult you know, to try and write these books if I lived in a one-bedroom apartment on West Pico Boulevard <laughs> in Los Angeles or something. And so, um, you know, for me, you know, I mean, I've got a ranch that I built, you know, and so, you know, every day I'm out, um, you know, whether it's, you know, working with irrigation or stock, you know, or anything like that. It's uh, mm. it's a good life like that because it's kind of a nice balance, you know, between the cerebral world of, you know, spending your time uh, somewhere in front of a keyboard with your imaginary friends, you know, and then also, you know, being out and uh, in that natural world, which I think it has such a, you know, makes such an impression on the books. Mm-hmm. It would be different, yeah, if Walt Longmire were working out of a one-bedroom apartment on Pico. Uh, although I'd, I'd kind of <laughs> like would, to, would be. I'd kind of like to read that story. So I'd, <laughs> I'll put in that. Request. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Like that, I mean, that's it's uh, never say never is what I always say. Right. Like that. But uh, <laughs> but this one, you know, the, the, the book that's out now is a little different from some of the others, like that, because it is a collection of short stories, and um, you know, they're little vignettes, they're little portions of the books, like that. That, that wouldn't quite fit into the novels, um, but you know, being with a uh, you know a press like Viking Penguin, it gives me an opportunity to have a little bit more freedom 
um, to do a lot of the things that I really want to do. They really don't put much pressure on me as far as, you know, what it is that I write about. I can write about anything. Like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the way it started out was the first uh, short story, Old Indian Trick, was actually the uh, in Cowboys and Indians magazine, like that, um, with the Tony Hillerman Award. And I kind of sent it out to everybody for Christmas for free, like that. Everybody was on my, uh, my newsletter, uh, the post it, you know, which is at, uh, craigallenjohnson.com. And, uh, I didn't know what kind of trouble I was making for myself until the next November when everybody started writing and saying, when is the next Christmas, you know, free Christmas story coming out? And I hadn't written one, like that. And so I had to get busy and start going on it. So that's how pretty much all of the short stories got going after about, you know, nine or ten years, you know, Viking Penguin said, hey, why don't we put out an anthology of those short stories? So we did, and uh, it, it's it's a nice little grouping of stories for folks. Yeah, yeah I guess if you come year two, you'd, if you expected uh, not to have to write the second story, you found out different, the fans wanted it. Um, <laughs> so these are, yeah, these are these are fun. It's, it's the sheriff off duty, right? It uh, kind of is. Like I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're the kind of stories that... Uh, you know that that would probably stop a novel dead in the water like that, and so they kind of have to stand on their own like that, and it gives me an opportunity to work, you know, in a different medium. That uh, you know, you, you got to hit the ground running on a short story. There's not a lot of room, you know, for elaboration. Um, you have to have a you know something to say, and you better get to it pretty quick like that. And so it was uh, it was kind of a fun you know, medium to work in. I mean, I've already got one written for this Christmas that I'll send out to everybody on the newsletter. I always wait until 11:59. Uh, Mountain Standard Time, like that, and then send it out on Christmas Eve. And so it's a nice mm. thing to do for people, you know, and uh, provide something for free like that when everybody's out there trying to make a buck. Yeah. Uh, so for people not familiar with with Longmire, tell me tell me about Walt Longmire. Walt Longmire is a little bit different from the usual protagonist that you have in crime fiction in that, uh, I mean, usually there are these six foot two of twisted steel and sex appeal. Every woman wanted him, every man feared him. He could kill anyone with a Ticonderoga pencil in 3.2 seconds kind of guy. And I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror every morning. That's not the guy that I see. And so uh, I tried to make Walt a little bit different. He's a little bit more like um, us. You know, he's... Uh, He's, he's what I tend to refer to as over. He's overweight, he's overage, he's overly depressed, but he still gets up in the morning and tries to do the job. And, you know, for me, that's, that's true heroism. That's somebody that, you know, that, that seems a little bit more believable than a lot of the, the characters that you tend to see in a lot of these thriller and mystery novels. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state in America. And, uh, it, it gives a basis to the books, you know, and it kind of informs the books, you know, and makes them, you know, uh, a little bit more, you know, developed as far as, like, place and, uh, character are concerned. And, um, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate, like, that, that there's been an audience for those books, like that, and, uh, and an audience for the TV show, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, why sheriff? Why'd you make him a sheriff? You know, it, it, that's a good question. Like, and one of the main reasons was that I'm always explaining that, that the books have been translated into about 12 languages, and so I sometimes do tours, um, you know, in foreign countries like that, and a lot in Europe like that. And uh, it's kind of funny because I have to explain, you know, what a sheriff is. You know, that it's the only um, elected law enforcement official in the United States. That not only are you a, a police officer, but you also have to be a politician. You have to be able to go out, you know, and and get votes like that, or else you're going to be selling used cars in four years. And so um, what it does, though, is, is it, it kind of makes Walt, you know, in connection, you know, with uh, the populace, you know, the constituency and the people whose laws it is that he's been elected to enforce. Um, one of the things I really wanted Walt to do was be emblematic of that small community um, in the American, the contemporary American West, 
um, and have something to say about that. And uh, to have Walt be a sheriff allowed him to be involved with a lot more cases and a lot more situations than, you know, a general police officer would be involved with, you know. And so it was that. And then it was also the iconoclastic aspects of, you know, I mean, when you think of, you know, Western law enforcement, what's the first thing you think of? You think of a sheriff. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, ignorant enough to think that, you know, I'm not, um, also drawing, you know, from that epic American Western romanticism, like that. I mean, it's a, as you well know, like that, you know, because you're in the West, same as me, like that. You know, it's a pretty fantastic place to be, like that. And one of the joys of the books is to try and and be honest about it, try and tell it the way it is, um, and that's something that I try and do with each and every novel in some sort of different way. And Walt is is not an anti-hero, I believe. He's a he's a hero. Anti-hero has kind of become all the all the rage. You know, we kind of went through a period there, you know, in the 60s where, you know, the the, the anti-heroes became, you know, kind of the uh, de rigueur. Like that. And uh, it seems like it's done nothing but, you know, hyper-accelerate here to the point in the last couple of years where you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, yeah, Walt, uh, Walt does kind of harken back, you know, a little bit um, to, you know, some of those, you know, cowboy heroes of the past. I mean, he's got a code that he lives by. And I guess the, the word that I always use in describing Walt is, is that he's decent. Um, he's decent and he cares about people and he tries to do the right thing. Um, that doesn't mean that he's, you know, absolutely perfect or that he's right every single time, you know, but he's still out there every day, you know, trying. Um, which I think is, you know, kind of emblematic of an awful lot of us. You know, we're all out there trying the best we can every day, whether we get it done or not. You know, well, you know, that's it's a complex world here in the modern and contemporary American West, you know, and we, we all do the best we can. We're talking a little bit about law enforcement. You have a bit of a background in law enforcement, right? And the the, uh, the, the, da- the potential downside is you get a you can get a jaundiced view of, of humankind. It could be a kind of a depressing job. Absolutely. I mean, the things that, you know, you come in contact with, I mean, you're going to be in contact with people that, you know, are in their very best, you know, and then you're also going to be in in contact with people at their very worst. So it's one of those things where, you know, you have to be prepared, you know, and you have to be, you know, willing to realize the sacrifices that you're going to make, you know, and, but I think that that's, you know, one of the joys also of writing the books, you know, is trying to do something that, you know, it's honest. Um, you know, most generally, you know, Walt is not going to run into Al-Qaeda in Crook County, Wyoming. Walt is not going to, you know, come up against, you know, Professor Moriarty. I mean, an awful lot of the time what you meet is people who've made mistakes. Like that, and then, you know, they try and um, cover those mistakes or try and make things, you know, better by just making things worse, you know. And an awful lot of the stories that I get, you know, for my books tend to come from um, newspaper articles, you know, whether they – everywhere I go when I'm on tour, I'm always picking up newspapers, you know, from small towns because I think what that does is kind of keep the books, you know, grounded in a reality um, that I think, you know, that, that makes Walt a little bit more of a believable character. And, you know, with those type of things, I think that's one of those, those things that, uh, that that keep the character, you know, grounded in a reality, too. And uh, you, you, you've covered a lot of things in the in the, in the novels. Uh, you've, uh, you know, human trafficking, uh, polygamy, fracking. Uh, you know, there's a, there's <laughs> have, a wide I range have, of things. That's kind of scratching the surface. I've, I've, I've hit a lot of, like, social issues. But, I mean, I think that's, you know, this, it, it's kind of, like, you know, uh, to be expected. I mean, I think there probably was a period in time um, you know, when you could just write a Western or you could just write crime fiction, you know, whodunits like that, you know, and just have clever ideas like that. But it's kind of like Voltaire said, clever ideas come and go. Like that. And uh, I think nowadays, you know, what's happened is is that readers, you know, and uh, viewers tend to be just a little bit more sophisticated. Um, you know, that they, they want all the same things, you know, in crime fiction or in Westerns that they get in literary fiction. 
Um, they, they want to, you know, fully you know, develop characters. They want a sense of place. Um, they want social commentary. They want humor. They want history. They want all those things. They also want to know who the heck did it by the time they get to the end. And so it kind of raises the bar a little bit. But I think that that's, you know, what makes the books, you know, enjoyable to write. Um, knowing that you've got a pretty sophisticated audience out there that's uh, that, that's taking the book seriously. That, that's a joy. And and I think, uh, you know, a mystery reader wants to be able to try to piece it together as they, as they go. Oh, ahead. absolutely. you got to... You got to play by the rules. You know, you have to be fair. Like you have to give them all of the tools um, that you're giving your protagonist. You know, to be able to solve the crime. You know, on, a, on an equal footing, like that. You know, and that's it's a little bit easier because you know, in the books, you know, the books are written in first person. So I mean, you're pretty much you know in Walt Longmire's head. You know, all the way for you know 350 some pages like that. And so it's important, you know, that that you be fair and uh, allow the readers like that to, to be able to have a chance to try and you know solve the problems the same way Walt does. We're talking with Craig Johnson. He is a New York Times bestselling author of 12 uh, Long, Walt Longmire mystery novels. He's out with a, uh, a new collection of his uh, short stories, Longmire short stories, Wait for Signs, it's called. Uh, the latest novel, by the way, is Dry Bones. We want to talk a little bit about that as well. Let's take a break. More with Craig Johnson when we return. The toxic incinerator looms over seaside communities north of Boston. It's a beautiful estuary. We have sails that come in the river. I mean, it's beachfront property. It just comes with the, the downfall of having a trash incinerator across the street. And authorities get the green light to dump more toxic ash in the marsh. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us this morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. I'm Robin Young. Mike Pompeo's nomination for Secretary of State got a yes vote from a Senate panel in part because a Democrat voted present, a rare bipartisan move that left Republican Senator Bob Corker in tears. I'm happy for the American people. I think it showed that uh, senators at the right time can do outstanding things. Our political roundtable weighs in next time here and now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Whether visiting a resort near Bear Lake or hiking around Capitol Reef near Torrey Teasdale, Utah Public Radio goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can too. Find out how by calling Utah Public Radio at 800-826-1495. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Craig Johnson. He's a resident of U-Cross, Wyoming, northern Wyoming, a beautiful part of the world, uh, population 25. His straight-talking lawman, uh, Sheriff Walt Longmire, has been featured in uh, uh, 12 now, I think, uh, best-selling novels, and the hit drama series, which is now on Netflix, Longmire. And he's now out with a collection of uh, Longmire short stories. The sheriff is off duty in these stories. Uh, some uh, the trademark humor is uh, present. One of these stories is trapped with an owl in a porta potty. Uh, he is uh, elbowed into starring as the ghost of Christmas past, and he finds himself mistaken for a deity. Just uh, some of the uh, stories. Uh, Craig Johnson's uh, novels have uh, garnered uh, several awards as well, and I believe Craig Johnson, you're. You're just back from France. It was on your website. Did you make that trip? 
I am, I am. That's a, that's a constant source of irritation to all the other authors that I know. Uh, they're always like, oh, so you're going to France again. Like We've, we've actually been there about 17 times. Wait, what's the deal with France? Um, you know, I, I, I wish I knew. Like, I, wish, I wish I knew what it was. Um, we've just said that the books are on the bestsellers list in France, and uh, i got to tell you, my... My street cred around the ranch went way up whenever I started taking my wife to Paris about two or three times a year. Um, it, it, it's yeah. actually, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I've got a really wonderful French publisher um, and a really wonderful French translator. And uh, the, the more that I've, I've learned as, as the books have been translated, that uh, you know, if you get a good translator, you get a good book and you get a good response. If you get a bad translator, you get a bad book and you don't get much response. And so I've been very fortunate to, to be working with some really good folks, you know, they're in France, and uh, and people respond to the books. I think you know, that they respond, um, you know, to the, the, the idea of these, you know, really developed characters in the contemporary American West. You know, they're, they're just um, very responsive to that. Like that. And, uh, yeah, we just actually just got back from another trip over there where we uh, won a bunch of awards, look at, and are on the bestsellers list again. Uh, I don't know if you've been other places in Europe. Do you think uh, the French respond more to the you know novel set in the American West than other countries? Or um, it's, it's pretty amazing, like the, the response that the French have had. Like, but you know, the British have gone crazy, like you know, for the television show, and so now the books are taking off. Um, but also Spanish, like a Czech. I mean, there, there are a lot of. Uh, of different uh, you know countries and languages like that that we've been very fortunate enough to get a, a really good response in. But uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, I think they're responding the same way that you know that American readers respond. You know, Walt's a, a good guy to spend time with. You know, he's uh, it, it's the same reason why I enjoy writing the books. You know, every year, um, I, I really enjoy his company, and uh, you know, I, I think that might, might be why it is that the readers um, respond to the books the way that they do. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Good company for you as well. I was reading another interview. <laughs> I can, I've, I've, I've never done irrigating, but I can respond to this. My grandfather was a, was a <laughs> farmer. Um, <laughs> apparently, irrigation can get you in a foul mood, and, and your wife tells you to go right when you come in from irrigating. You know, the irrigation is uh, it's the bane of my existence. Look at you know, and uh, you know, whenever you live, you know, in the high desert, you know, whether it be Utah or Wyoming or anywhere like that, you know, you've got three components that are involved: electrical, mechanical, and hydraulic. And I guarantee you, you get two of them to work, the other will fail. Um, and yeah, you know, so that that, that you generally the, the publishers know to not get in touch with me during irrigation season like that. And uh, the only thing that'll bring me out of the uh, the, the the funk and uh, of, uh, of irrigation season and is usually going up and actually writing on the books. <laughs> and what is it about Walt Longmire that, that you like spending time with? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, first of all, like that, like I said, he's a decent guy. Like that, I think he, you know, he, he's the perfect guy for the job. I mean, the way I describe it is if you're, you know, slide off the road on I-80 in January, this is the guy you want pulling up behind you. Like that, because he's, he's decent, he's kind, he's good-hearted, he cares about people. Um, all of these things, you know, that are important. But then again, you know, he's also extraordinarily smart. He's very, very smart. He's very, very funny. Um, you know, one of the things that I get periodically whenever I'm traveling is people will come up to me, and especially in the East, and they'll say, you know, well, boy, that Walt Longmire sure is smart for a Wyoming sheriff. And and I'm not sure which part I want to take umbrage with, the fact <laughs> that he's a sheriff of Wyoming. Like, but uh, it, it's, you know, it's part of his, his character. Like, uh, you know, Walt, uh, you know, he was a, 
He was an English major at USC, like that, and uh, then, you know, when he graduated, he lost his deferment, you know, and went to Vietnam and became a military policeman over there, was one of the first Marine investigators in 1968. And, uh, you know, when he got back, you know, he was looking for a job, and he got married and was going to have a kid, and and I think Walt would have probably been happier, you know, uh, working in a library or a bookstore like that, but, um, you know, they, they weren't hiring like that in the Adsroga County Sheriff's Department was. And so he began his career, you know, in law enforcement and, uh, you know, one of the longest standing sheriffs in Wyoming history. Like that. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it probably makes for better uh, reading. I don't know if people would want to read the books if Walt was just a librarian. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, yeah, there again, that might be interesting. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I wonder, uh, is there a, you know, a stereotype of Wyoming? Out there, you know. That the- oh, I think there's always going to be stereotypes, you know, of the American West, you know, and of sheriffs, you know, and all of those type of things. Um, you know, those those stereotypes and cliches are the fun part, though, like that, because Walt, you know, gets to go up against um, those cliches and stereotypes. There's, you know, actually one instance where he's working up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation um, with a tribal police chief, Lolo Long, like that, and. Uh, um, she's an Iraqi war veteran, and she looks at Walt. She says, did you serve? And Walt says, yes, I did. And she looks back at him and says, uh, Union or Confederacy? <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the, the, the fun parts of the books is to take, you know, some of those preconceived notions and then kind of flip them a little bit. You know, and that's where the humor kind of comes in handy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me, I, I always I always do ask my, my dad that question. He served in World War II, and I... I would mm-hmm. often, you know, ask him to tell me about the Civil War. He he never found it all that funny. <laughs> I, I laughed a lot, but he, didn't, he never found it that funny. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I wonder, you 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 have the this county, and in fact, you know, you have hats and probably T-shirts, and you know, um, it makes me think of uh, William Faulkner. I don't know if you if you if you made that connection. He you know he centered all his books in a Yokepatapa County in Mississippi. And oh yeah, he's centered in just no. one I mean, place. There, there, there are a lot of uh, like, a lot, lot of smarter writers than I am, like that. You know, and, uh, you know, Hemingway, Faulkner, all of these guys. They figured out pretty quickly, like that, that having a fictitious county to work in would give them the literary license um, to do what it is that they're doing. I mean, the, 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 the statement that I always make is is that I'm not writing documentaries, um, and I don't want them to be mistaken as documentaries. Like that, they're, they're fiction, they're novels, like that. And uh, of course, the first you know indication of that that you know maybe that was a direction I should go in was when I was doing, I do a lot of ride-alongs with a lot of sheriffs and deputies and highway patrol there in Wyoming, like an awful lot of the stories. Certainly the most, the more unbelievable stories that I have, you know, in my books are always taken from actual accounts, um, you know, from them, like that. But uh, I was actually riding along with Larry Kirkpatrick, who was the uh, the, the previous sheriff in uh, Johnson County, Wyoming, like at my home county. And uh, I was, you know, riding along with him like that, and he was reading uh, the very first book in the Walt Longmire series, The Cold Dish, and he said, uh, well, you got a mistake right there in the first chapter. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, well, if you take a right on Ford Street, the next street up on the left is not Aspen. And I was like, oh, I am not going to fight that stuff for the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> Hello, fictitious county. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty much how I observed that county was born. Yeah. Uh, what do you get from those ride-alongs? What do you... What do you learn? What do you? What's the company like? Oh, a lot of it's just so outrageous. You know, I mean, it, you don't, don't ever underestimate the things that you know that, that human beings can get themselves, you know, uh, caught up in. Um, you know, one of the, the, the funniest stories that I ever heard was that there was a one where you know a sheriff's deputy had to 
had to pull a, a woman over because her husband was tied with a piece of rope to the back of her her car. Like, unfortunately, the roads were icy. Like, you know, and he was just sliding along back there, waving at people. You know, till the deputy could get her pulled over. And what had happened was he was up on the up on the roof trying to clean the chimney out like that. He tied himself off you know, to the car, and she didn't know that and took off with him. Uh, you know, tied to the back like that. He'd come off the roof and landed in a pile of snow. Thank goodness, you know, and then uh, went skimming down the road like that. And uh, that was the beginning of Junkyard Dogs. You know, uh, one of the previous books. But uh, you know, people would write me and say, you know, boy, that that's kind of an outrageous story. Like that, you know, kind of hard to believe. And I would say, well, let me introduce you to Sheriff Goody Pickering <laughs> of Bighorn County, Montana, who actually had this happen to him. So it's kind of an ongoing joy, like that, uh, mm. to include some of those small social histories, some of those small uh, social stories, like that, that, uh, that, that are really kind of indicative of, uh, I don't know, the oddity of, of being where we are. I mean, that's mm. kind of the, the the wonder of what it is that I do, and one of the joys uh, of what it is that I do. I mean, if I was writing books about the same people getting in the same cars, getting, you know, from the same houses, you know, driving and going to the same offices, to the same jobs, you know, I think I probably would have would have quit writing these books 10 years ago like that. But, uh, you know, where we live, it's, it's a unique place. You know, everybody talks about the period West and how magnificent and epic and you know, romantic and all of this it was. Like, I, I still think the, the, the contemporary American West, you know, may be the heyday um, and, and maybe the most interesting period in our, in our, in our history. Well, what do you think that is? What, what, what makes it so interesting? Well, I think, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, you do have all of that history to draw from, like that, but then again, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times, like, it, it's, it's not the most populated area in the world, um, and, and a lot of times, you know, the more interesting individuals tend to, you tend to find the more interesting individual individuals on those, you know, those those uh, frontier edges, you know, of uh, you know the uh, contemporary American society. Um, we, we we sometimes forget, you know, just how wonderful and special, you know, where it is that we live is. Um, that it is epic, that it is romantic, and that there's you know a lot of differences between it and other places in the world, and and that includes the people. You know, the people are, are different. You know, from anywhere else too. Look at and uh, and that that makes for good novels. Look at you know you don't want to write about you know the, the same people on the same day. You know, the same things happening. You want to you want something unique. You want something that's going to have something to say, a message that'll you know get across to people. And I, I do think uh, you know you you find some people who have transplanted themselves in the West because they, for various reasons, you know, they want to get away from something or they want to be isolated or, you know, whatever the reason is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, that, uh, that whole idea of, you know, that the least populated county and the least populated state, um, you know, it, it, it's going to make for interesting people, you know, and, and interesting in different ways. You know, sometimes, you know, they, they, they tend to be, you know, far flung, you know, whether it be for the, the better or the worse like that. And, uh, you know, and to me, that's, that's just where the best stories are going to live and, and uh, the best places to write novels about. Let's take another break. When we come back, we'll have uh, Craig Johnson read a, a passage from one of his books. Uh, the latest books are Wait for Signs. It's a collection of 12 Longmire stories. These are the stories that uh, Craig Johnson puts out uh, Christmas Eve every year to subscribers to his newsletter. And uh, it's called Wait for Signs. Uh, the latest novel is Dry Bones. Uh, these are all uh, based on the Sheriff Walt Longmire, in the uh, fictitious uh, Absaroka County in uh, in Wyoming, Craig Johnson lives in Ucross, a uh, ranch out there, population uh, 25. More following the break. My name is Risa Ledbetter, and I'm a reporter for Utah Public Radio. 
I might be considered a nerd, but I love bringing you stories about some of the most exciting science happening in Utah. If you have comments, story ideas, or questions, I'd love to hear them. Please visit our website at upr.org or call us at 1-800-826-1495. You can also share ideas on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just be sure to include the hashtag IamUPR. Thanks for listening. Country star Keith Urban isn't shy about bringing rock and pop sounds into his new album. I have a, a deep, deep respect for country music and the history of country music, but country and pop have always intermingled, and uh, 2018 is no different. Keith Urban, next time on Here and Now. Join us for Hour 2 of Here and Now today at noon on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Jill Deacon, in for Tom Power. You know Ira Glass, as longtime journalist and host of This American Life. I'm going to chat with him about a new hat he's wearing as producer on a feature film adaptation of one of his radio stories. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. Join us this afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Craig Johnson. Uh, he is the author of the best-selling novels uh, featuring Sheriff Walt Longmire. Uh, and he's out with a new collection of uh, short stories, 12 Longmire stories. These are the stories that uh, Craig Johnson releases uh, Christmas Eve to subscribers to his uh, newsletters. Collected all those uh, so far, 11, and he's added one. Uh, and it's called Wait for Signs. Um, so, uh, Craig Johnson, uh, I think you have uh, one of your books in front of you. I wonder if you'd read us a passage. <laughs> now, you're just testing me to see if I really know how to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll, 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 we'll see how you um, do This actually is a, an excerpt from the beginning of the fifth book in the series, The Dark Horse. Um, but it's kind of, you know, chronologically appropriate since it takes place, you know, pretty much at the exact same time that we've arrived at. So, um, this is from The Dark Horse, <clears throat> Chapter 1. It was the third week of a high plains October, and an unseasonably extended summer had baked the color from the landscape and turned the rusted girders of the old bridge a thinned-out, tired brown. I topped the hill and pulled the gunmetal Lincoln town car along the Pratt Trust structure. There weren't very many of them left in the Powder River country, and the few bridges that were left were being auctioned off to private owners for use on their ranches. I'd grown up with the old Camelback bridges and was sorry to see the last of them go, my eyes were pulled to the town, balanced on the banks of the anemic river, pressed hard against the scurrya hills like a singing blade of a sharp knife. The water, the land, the bridge were sepia-toned, depleted. I told Dog to stay in the back seat and got out of the car, slipped on my hat and aged burnished brown horsehide jacket, and walked across the dirt lot. I studied the dusty, wide plank surface of the bridge, and between the cracks, the few reflecting slivers of the Powder River below. The Wyoming Department of Transportation had condemned and in turn posted the bridge with bright yellow signs. It was to be removed next week. I could see the abutments that they'd constructed off to the right and on which the new bridge would soon rest. A range telephone cooperative trailer sat by a power pole holding a junction box and a blue plastic service phone that gently tapped against the creosote-soaked wood like a forgotten telegraph, receiving no answer. 
kind of gives you a little bit of an indication of the territory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, I imagine it's a beautiful country. I haven't been to that to your your uh, neck of the woods, but I imagine it's very beautiful. I have, and I, I, I can I can vouch for it. Like, but yeah. then again, I've also been uh, a lot through Utah. I got to admit, like that, I uh, I used to get all these requests from all these little independent bookstores um, that wanted to know when it was that Viking Penguin was going to send me to you know Baker City, Oregon, or uh, Burns or places like that. And I would have to tell them, well, no, they're never going to do that. So <laughs> finally, what happened was I had an old motorcycle from 1996. Like, and I decided, you know what, I gathered up about a dozen bookstores like that, and decided, you know what, I'll do a big 5,000-mile loop. So whenever I finish the uh, the national book uh, tour every summer, what I do is jump on my motorcycle and do a big 5,000-mile loop and head a bunch of those independents all up through the northwest. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I think it's uh, Serpent's Tooth. This is a uh, mm-hmm. resonance to people in Utah. You feature some... Lost Boys, you know, so-called because they were kicked out of the uh, FLDS community. Would you read about this and what, picking up the newspapers again, or what? Uh, how did you come to, oh, to, yeah. to set like this that, up? Um, there was, you know, there, I just was, you know, curious uh, to, uh, you know, these young men like that who were, uh, you know, given the boot like that, you know, with some of these uh, um, these groups like that, and it just seemed like such a, a sad situation like that, that these young men, you know, were kind of turned out. Um, into modern society, you know, without education, without skills, you know, without um, anything, you know, to work with. Like that. And uh, what's been amazing is to see, you know, just how often um, they're able to turn their lives around like that and really able to um, implement a life for themselves like that and uh, in construction situations and all that type of stuff. But, I mean, it's just another one of those situations that just struck my interest, you know, and I thought, you know what, I, I think that, you know, might be something that, you know, Walt Longmire um, might be involved with a situation that you know that involves people, um, mm-hmm. and those are always the cases that uh, that, that interest me the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serpent's Tooth is, is an example. You, I think, you got that uh, from Shakespeare. I did. I did. They, uh, you know that uh, that, uh, that that there's uh, no uh, see the the tooth uh, quite so sharp as uh, a uh, an unthankful child. Um, a lot of times, like that, I draw from. Uh, you know, whether it be Shakespeare or, you know, any number of sources, like at literary sources, uh, you know, Walt's a, a pretty well-read guy. Like, that, I mean, there's a reason why it is that, you know, his office is in a uh, a defunct, you know, Carnegie library. And uh, I, I think that, you know, he's uh, he's an interesting guy, like that he's well-read, like that. And so, uh, you know, the titles kind of tend to uh, to reflect that. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not your, you know, not your grandfather's Western name so much. Yeah, we we got a couple of Carnegie libraries, old Carnegie libraries in uh, in Cache Valley where we are in northern Utah. It's a very very oh inter- gosh, and they're just yeah. beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful. Uh, I mean, that kind of philanthropic uh, nature, like at the end that that uh, you know Carnegie, you know, went in like that, you know, and provided you know for all of these underserved communities like that, you know, and all those little uh, you know libraries got built. I mean, the, the tragedy, of course, is that so many of them got torn down and replaced by a lot of really hideous buildings, like in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of them still remain like that, and they're just they're this gorgeous little building. Does, speaking of books, does the bookmobile make its way around, uh, say, Absaroka County? <laughs> uh, not so much. Like it's, 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 it's an underserved kind of county, you know, with that kind of a small population. But uh, you know, they, they 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 do have libraries like that. And then uh, you know, my history with with Wyoming libraries is you know, kind of funny in that. Uh, 
I, the first library to get in touch with me about doing an event about 10 years ago was a little library over in Matitsi, Wyoming, which is, you know, in the western part of the state and uh, has a population of about 327 people like that. And uh, they contacted me and said, hey, we'd like you to do an event. Um, how much would you charge for an honoraria? Like, I didn't even know that there was an honoraria. I didn't know authors you know, charged libraries to do such things. And so I, uh, I wrote them back and I said, well, you know, once you reach a certain level of literary notoriety, very difficult to negotiate your own honoraria. I said, mine's the same as it's always been, a six-pack of Rainier beer, cans preferred. Well, the problem with that, of course, was that it got in all the newspapers and and subsequently, I have done every library in Wyoming, but I haven't bought beer in about seven years, so it's worked out you know, to be mutually beneficial for all of us. Like, and, uh, um, the only time it ran me into trouble was is that uh, I had a, a little novella, the Spirit of Steamboat, that was uh, picked as the state read for the state of Wyoming. And um, they, they actually, you know, I was down at the state library where they were going to kick off the state read. And, uh, you know, the, the librarian brought out the 18 pack of Rainier beer and sat it down in front of me. And she said, this was kind of hard to get. And I said, well, yeah, I know it's kind of a working class, blue collar kind of beer. A lot of the, the, you know, bars don't carry it anymore. And she said, no, you don't understand. The distributors had a hard time getting it. And I said, well, yeah, I know if the bars don't carry it, though, the distributors don't carry it. And she goes, no, you still don't understand. They're out of beer. <laughs> and uh, what had happened was, is about two weeks into the TV show Longmire, everybody saw Walt Longmire drinking Rainier beer, and uh, they ran him out of beer. And uh, it sounded kind of funny. I thought, you know, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. So I called him up. I called up their national headquarters in Irwindale, California, and said, uh, hey, are you guys? And they said, yeah, we're, you know, we've been brewing this beer since, you know, Prohibition broke, and we've had a sudden increase of sales like that, unlike anything we've ever had before, and we have no idea what's going on. And I said, well, I have what we call in my business a clue. Like it, so I told them all about it. They were kind of pleased to be the signature drink of the Wyoming sheriff. <laughs> the power of popular culture. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> by the way, speaking of the television series, uh, A&E canceled it, but you've been picked up by Netflix. We have. Like that. We, we uh, had a little stumbling block there, you know, where uh, um, we were the highest-rated scripted drama in uh, that network's history. Um, and uh, they they decided to cancel us like that, which was you know kind of silly on their part because from what I understand their ratings have gone down about thirty six percent since they dropped Longmire like that. But uh, we had another horse to ride. Uh, Netflix stepped in and said, hey, you know we'll take this TV show look at, and uh, they just released just last month the fourth season um, of uh, Longmire, uh, which is kind of wonderful because we really don't have any commercial breaks over at Netflix, and so each of the episodes, you know, previously on, on basic cable were about 42 minutes in length like that, but uh, I have yet to see a uh, an episode yet, or read an episode yet, um, that's been under an hour long, like that, and uh, the response has been uh, pretty wonderful. And uh, I read the reason, one of the reasons A&E gave was the demographic was too old. You know, that, that, that was kind true. of a spin uh, right. that uh, that A and E tried to put on it. It was kind of funny because um, what they what it boiled down to was is they they really wanted to own the show. Um, oh, Warner Brothers you know, produces the show, and then they license it, you know, to A and E or did license it to A and E um, so that they could broadcast it. And uh, the, the difficulty with that was is that A and E decided they would make a lot more money off their highest rated scripted drama if they owned it. Well, the problem with that was, of course, that uh, Warner Brothers wasn't likely to sell it to them since it was a hit, um, and also the fact that they were, you know, had licensed you know, for over 100 countries around the world. 
And so they told A&E they wouldn't sell it to him. Like, well, A&E got all angry and said, you know, well, if you don't sell it to us, we'll cancel it. And Warner said, well, you're going to look kind of funny canceling the highest-rated scripted drama you ever had. One thing I've learned in three years of dealing with Hollywood is don't underestimate their intelligence because you can't dig that low. <laughs> and uh, so they did. They canceled the show. And um, it's uh, it was it was kind of silly like that. But uh, we were fortunate enough that Netflix picked it up. And so you know, in the in the firefall like that that happened. Uh, after they canceled the show, there was a big movement on, uh, you know, on social media. A lot of people were very angry. Um, this is a show that was pulling in six million viewers a night, like that, and they were just angry. And so, you know, the network figured out, you know, that they had a PR nightmare on their hands. So what they did was, uh, they decided they'd put a spin on it and say, well, the show wasn't pulling in the proper demographic, and that's why it was that we decided to, to cancel it. Well, you know, because it, it really doesn't matter. You know, it, we really were looking for more of that 18 to 49 demographic, and the, that really doesn't matter. Well, let me tell you who you do not want to get angry in this country, everybody over the age of 49, because they've kind of been to the rodeo, got their buckle, and they're kind of happy to tell you what they think, and boy, did they ever. Um, the Longmire posse and uh, everybody kind of landed on A&E pretty hard like that. And so it got to the point where I started feeling sorry for A&E. Like so it, uh, it worked out all for the best for us to be over at Netflix. That's the secret of uh, the power of AARP, the, you know, older folks. <laughs> older folks so. vote. Older folks get involved. <laughs> Um, I beg your pardon. Older folks vote and they get involved. Um, they do, they do. Like they're not afraid. <laughs> I wonder. If we just have about three or four minutes left. I, I want to talk about uh, Henry Standing Bear and the, the fact that uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sheriff Longmire has an, an Indian friend. I didn't refer to him as Native American because I read another interview that you uh, you said that <laughs> I guess your Indian Indian friends laugh at that term. They do. They get, whenever I try and be politically correct, I mean, my ranch is just to the south of the Crow Northern Cheyenne Reservation, so I've got a lot of friends, neighbors, practically family, you know, up on the reservation like that. And, uh, you know, I, I use them, you know, freely as characters in my books. And unfortunately, the books and TV show are, are very popular up there like that. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't let me get away with very much political correctness. Every time I try and use the term Native American, they always look at me and say, where were you born? And I say, well, I was born in America, so you would be a Native American too. Like that, and so uh, it, it's kind of fun, like that, to, to try and be honest, you know, about them the same way I'm honest about that contemporary or American West. I mean, they're my friends and family, and they're just uh, they're amazing people. I mean, the character that you mentioned, Henry, is actually based off of a good friend of mine, Marcus Red Thunder. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever I have any kind of questions or anything like that about what's up on the res or issues that I want to try and, like, you know, raise or deal with, like that, he's the first one that I go to. I've got uh, Sherman Alexi coming in on Thursday. I'll ask him the same question. What? How do we? How do we refer Native American or, or Indian? Um, well, I'm sure that Sherman will have a, a hilarious answer. Like he's a magnificent writer. He's pretty darn funny. Is all I can say. Yeah, it 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 helps a lot, doesn't it? Sense of humor. It does yeah. well. It's it's uh, it's also like that. I think that there's you know I mean, whenever you see you know Native Americans you know I'll use the term once like it, they're they're always portrayed as these stoic you know uh, you know humorless you know kind of characters and uh, you know the, the cigar store you know Indian kind of character and I got to admit like uh, that that's not the Indians that I know. I mean uh, the Northern Cheyenne and the Crow work on about seventeen different layers of irony. And if you're not aware of that irony, you get to be the butt of that irony. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's uh, it's it's an important thing to include because I don't think there's any uh, more horrifying way, like at a. Of dehumanizing a group of people is to pretend that they don't have the higher functions of humor. 
Um, you know, all the Indians I know have a sense of humor. I try and include that as much as I can in the books. Yeah, I've, I've had some Indian friends as well, and I've, I, uh, they're, yeah, as you say, a lot of different layers. Uh, I'm never Absolutely. sure whether they're laughing at me or with me, you know, because I'm <laughs> not quite totally well, in the culture, of course. John said it best on American Americans. He said, you know, that the Indians have an incredible sense of humor. They've had to. They've put up with us for over 200 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just a, about a minute, I want, wanted you to talk a little bit about Vic. Uh, I guess you wanted a oh, well, the, urban the character? Sheriff, you know, in the, in the book, yeah, she's kind of the urban uh, voice, you know, that's in the book. I mean, writing novels is a little like conducting a choral group. You know, you've got all these different voices that you're going to utilize, you know, to, to tell the story that you want to tell. like that. And so, you know, for me, it was important to try and include a, a very urban voice, you know, within uh, this, this very rural county. Like, And so I came up with this character, Victoria Moretti, um, who's a transplant. You know, she was a, a five-year, you know, uh, highly decorated police officer there in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, came with her husband, like that, who was a, you know, petroleum engineer, a coal engineer, like that, and, uh, ended up, you know, in this county, like that, and is, uh, the undersheriff. And, uh, she's a pretty good balance, you know, with Walt. I mean, whenever I came up with her, you know, I mean, Walt, I knew was going to be male, you know, I thought, okay, the undersheriff should be female, you know, Walt is rural, she's urban. Um, Walt is, you know, more capable in the, the social implications of the job. You know, he, he knows the history of the county and the people and all of that. And she's more knowledgeable of the technical aspects, you know, having gone to the largest police academy in the United States. And so it kind of makes for a, an interesting, you know, counterbalance, you know, between the two of them. Uh, Walt's very careful with the type of language that he uses. And Vic is careful in different ways. Like that. And uh, it, it makes for another voice within those novels that I think uh, makes them more worth reading. We have reached the uh, end of our time here. The uh, the new books are Wait for Signs. It's a collection of 12 Longmire stories, and the novel is Dry Bones. Craig Johnson, been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. EPA Chief Scott Pruitt is preparing to testify before Congress, and lawmakers have a lot they could ask about. Flying first class at taxpayers' expense. raises given to two of his political aides. Rolling back vehicle emission standards and clean power Regarding a condo he rented from the wife of a top energy lobbyist. A review of Pruitt's controversies and policies. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Join us today from 3 to 6.30 with Shalane Smith-Needham on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.